You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Now, last year, our theme was Alive Together. We were going through the book of Ephesians verse by verse as we went through that. We did not finish it last year before we kicked off our new theme uh, this year of launch. And so today we pick back up where we left off in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter five, uh, verse number 18. So grab your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter five, verse number 18, if you would. (coughs) Again, I apologize for my voice. I'm getting over being sick this week. And so um, bear with me if you would. But Ephesians chapter five, now, if, as we look at the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is really, if you wanted to split it up into two different sections, you could. Uh, sections one, uh, the first section, chapters one through three, is very heavy doctrinally. Who we are in Christ, uh, how Christ has purchased us, how we have been made alive together. We were once dead in our trespasses and sin, but we're made alive together because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Very heavy doctrinally, uh, chapters one through three. The second half, Chapters four through six would be very heavy practically. Now, here's how husbands should treat their wives. Here's how, how uh, you should treat your coworkers. Here's how you should, uh, your children should uh, respond to their parents. Uh, and here's how we should walk in the spirit. A lot of good practical application. As we get into chapter number six, we'll take a look at the armor of God and how that practically every single day we can walk uh, in the, using the tools that God's given us to live for him every single day. Very heavy practically chapters uh, four through six. Now, as we uh, left off in our our study of Ephesians chapter five, uh, we got up to verse number 17, uh, which leads us to verse number 18. And this is a a really exciting one to start off on. Let me just tell you that. Um, And so this is a topic that I know can be divisive even amongst Christians. What does the Bible say about alcohol? Uh, If you were to even uh, poll Christians, you might get a 50-50 split on their thoughts or their views about alcohol. Uh, Some would say that uh, alcohol is okay as long as it's used in moderation. Uh, Some people would say alcohol is okay as long as you don't go too far. Far. Others would say there's no good use for alcohol whatsoever. Uh, there's some who would even say, I'm not even going to take a- a NyQuil because it has alcohol in it. And so you see different ends of the spectrum. But at the end of the day, the important thing is not what do I think. It's not what do you think. It's not what does our society find acceptable. It's not even what are other churches doing. The question is, what does the Bible say? And at the end of the day, that's really all that matters My opinion matters very little, and I'll tell you that uh, from the get-go. I have a lot of strong opinions when it comes to to alcohol use, Uh, but my opinions at the end of the day hold no weight whatsoever in what one should or should not do. We live in a society today where there's constantly an infighting amongst opinions, Uh, and every single thing under the sun seems to be politicized today. Uh, And it just, I can't can't even stand to watch the news or even read the headlines because everybody wants their opinion to be heard and wants everybody else's opinions to be shut out. Uh, I saw a brief news clip about the uh, community meeting that they had about Alamoana Beach Park this past week uh, where the, uh, they were having a hearing and the city wanted to hear out what the community had to say. And everybody was saying, you know, we don't want the city to do this. We don't want the city to do that. And one guy stood up and he says, I'm really excited about a, a playground there for my kids to, to play on in Alamoana Beach Park. And people started booing the guy. And I thought to myself, like, we live in a society today that we want to hear your voice as long as it says what we want it to say. And the second that you say something we don't want to hear, we're going to boo you and tell you that you don't have the right to speak. That's the opposite of what we're supposed to do. And so at the end of the day, opinions really don't matter. It only matters what God's word says. 
It only matters what the Bible has to say. That's what we're going to take a look at today. Uh, what does the Bible have to say about alcohol? Now, this is week one because we couldn't pack it all into one week. Well, we could, but you probably don't want to sit here for about two hours or so. And so we'll split it up into two weeks to make it a little bit easier for you. Uh, but there, there's a lot of uh, information to digest. A lot of it I've put in your notes here so that you won't have to write down a lot of things. Uh, there's a lot of Bible verses that you'll find uh, that we're going to take a look at today because, again, at the end of the day, we want to see what does the Bible say. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, if you would, this morning. Uh, well, it's going to start in verse number 15 here. Um, and basically, again, we see as we read through um, the, uh, the book of Ephesians, we really find a contrast. Here's how the world lives, but here's how Christians should live. Here's how everybody else does things, but now that you're children of the light, you're not gonna walk in darkness anymore. Because you're different, because you're children of God, because you have been adopted into the family of God, you're supposed to be different. Verse number 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. That kind of sets the tone for what we're getting ready to talk about here. He says, I want you to walk circumspectly. And the idea of walking circumspectly is looking all the way around for anything that might harm us or trip us up. Uh, I, I used to run. I know it's hard for some of you to believe that I used to be a runner once upon a time. Uh, guys my size probably shouldn't run. Uh, but um, I used to, to do a lot of trail running. One of the things about trail running is you can't just check out and keep on trucking. You're on a treadmill, you know, you can watch TV, you can, can read a book on a treadmill or something like that. You're trail running, you always have to be looking for something. Uh, is that a root or is it a snake? Thankfully in Hawaii, there are no snakes. Uh, but is that, uh, is that slippery over there? Is that a mud puddle? Is that gonna, something that's gonna cause me to slip? Is that a rock that I'm gonna trip over? You constantly have to be watching. And the idea of walking circumspectly is I'm going to look around for me as I walk through life for anything that might harm me or might harm the people around me. The Bible tells us to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Verse number 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Verse number 18 is where we're going to spend our time here today. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess but be filled with the Spirit. Now, again, this is one of those verses that I probably wouldn't just pick up on a Sunday morning and say, hey, Sunday morning's a great opportunity to talk about alcohol. Let's do that this Sunday. I, wanna, I really want to goad some people, and I think it'd be kind of controversial. I think people get fired up to talk about this. Honestly, to tell you the truth, of all the messages that I've ever preached at Who We Call a Baptist Church, I may be probably a little bit nervous about this more than any others that I preach because I realize it can be misconstrued if you don't understand my heart and you don't really understand the Bible, you might walk away from this saying, oh, this church is against this or this church is against that. But it's honestly not my heart. I wanna, I wanna tell you that for sure. But here's the idea behind everything that we preach and teach here at Who We Call a Baptist Church because it has to come from the Bible. We don't wanna be known as a church for so much what we're against, but what we are for. And so if we're not careful, we become to think that Christians are all against things. Uh, Christians can't do this. Christians can't do that. Uh, I had a couple came here one time and they said, um, uh, Pastor, you know, we, we really like the church, but we can't come to the church because we don't agree with what Baptists believe. And I go, well, Baptists really just believe the Bible. What do you disagree with? And she said, well, we uh, disagree with the idea that, that Baptists can't dance. And I said, who told you that? And she said, well, I just, just heard Baptists don't dance. And I go, well, I don't dance because I can't. I'm white and I have no rhythm. I said, but that's not why I don't dance. I said, I said, I said I, I'm having trouble wrapping my mind around this. And she said, well, me and my husband, you know, we took some salsa dance lessons. You know, they were in their 60s. They said, we took some salsa dance lessons and we really enjoyed just going to, to a ballroom in Waikiki and going salsa dancing. And I said, just you and your husband. She goes, yeah. And I go, I don't see anything wrong with that. And she goes, really? I go, yeah. She goes, I always heard Baptists don't dance. And I go, Baptists don't go to nightclubs 
at two o'clock in the morning and drink alcohol and grind on someone that's not their spouse. We don't do that. And she goes, well, yeah, nobody should do that. <laughs> exactly. That's the idea. The idea is not that, uh, you know, I mean, when I was in, in elementary school, we had square dancing in PE. It's like that, you know, it's just like there's, there's appropriate times, I guess, for it, and then there's inappropriate sinful times. Like, oh, well, that makes sense. We don't want to be a church that's known for we're against this, we're against that. Uh, here's a list of things that we don't want to do. Know this, that, that Jesus Christ didn't come to bring bondage. He came to bring freedom. And, but mind you, freedom means free from sin, though. And he's going to let me loose from the things that would hold me back. When I, when I married my wife, best day outside of the day that I met Jesus, by far. When I married my wife, I made a commitment to her to keep myself for her for the rest of our lives. I didn't make that commitment and go, oh, great. Now, this is the only person I can ever be with for the rest of my life. I didn't say that. Man, what, what a blessing. Why? Because it was a gift it's a freedom that I have to keep myself for my wife. It's not a constraint that I have. It's something that brings me joy, not something that holds me back. And when God gives us commandments, he never gives us commandments to restrict us, but to give us maximum amount of joy in our lives. And so as we look at what we're for and what we're against, uh, we don't wanna be known as a church that's always against something. We wanna be known as what we're for. What are we for? First of all, we're for people if you're here at Hui Kala Baptist Church for the first time, first of all, thanks so much for being here. We're delighted that you're here. Honestly, I prayed for you this week. I prayed that God would bring first-time guests here to Hui Kala Baptist Church and that they would find a church home here. Uh, secondly, uh, every week we don't preach against alcohol, and so this is your idea that, you know, this is a church that comes every week and people preach against uh, this or that the other. It's not the case. And so uh, come back a couple more weeks. You'll find a couple different things that we'll be uh, talking about. But we're four people. Everybody needs to know Jesus because he's the only one that makes a difference. And who we call about as church, we are big time, big time for the gospel, with, with a big B and a big G gospel. Uh, we are so for the gospel because it's the only thing that will ever change the world that we live in today. Uh, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. It is the central message of everything that we do here. It's the central message of everything that we say here. It's the central message of everything that we teach here, the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ. If you're not familiar with the gospel, I'll give you a really short version of it. Here's this. You and I have sinned against God. We've broken his law. Because we have sinned against God, the Bible says that there's a penalty or consequences for our sin. Because we have sinned against a holy God, the responsibility that we have is to pay for that. And the only way that you can pay for your sins is to receive God's punishment. So you've sinned. The punishment that God gives is separation from him in hell for all of eternity. That's what you deserve. Because I've sinned, because you've sinned, when we die, barring any outside intervention, we will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And that's what we deserve. God doesn't want you to go to hell. God wants you to live with him for eternity in heaven. So God made a way for you to be forgiven. And his name was Jesus. And Jesus came and he lived a perfectly sinless life and he died on the cross in my place. You see, I was supposed to die for my sin. Let me take this stupid thing off. I was supposed to die for my sin, but Jesus died in my place. I deserved to die. I deserved to get God's punishment, but Jesus took God's punishment in my place. But you must make a decision for yourself to put your faith in Jesus and allow him to make that payment. I was a nine-year-old boy when I put my faith and trust in Jesus. 
I remember kneeling down by my uh, bedside in my, my home in Kentucky. My dad sitting beside me and we both sat there while I prayed and asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins and to save me. And at that moment, I was saved from my sin. At that moment, I was born again. I was once an enemy of God. Now I'm adopted into God's family. And being born again is the most important thing in the world. If you get nothing else out of the message today, know this, you must be born again. Jesus, in John chapter three, verse number three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You must be saved to go to heaven and Jesus is the only way that you can be saved. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse number seven, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that's the most important message you'll ever hear in your entire life. And if you're here today and you do not know for sure that you have been saved, you're not 100% sure that you are born again, you do not know for sure that when you die on this earth that heaven is your home, please do not leave here until you know for sure that that's taken care of. That's the, that's the mission of our church. That's the message of our church. Now, we're gonna talk about some other things today, but this is, the, this is the nuts and bolts of it. And if you get nothing else today, know this. Jesus loves you. He died in your place to forgive you and to save you from your sin. And he's the only hope that you have for this life and the next. That's the gospel. And that is what we are for big time. Uh, that book paid in full I was telling you about. This is the story of the gospel. This is a, a little bit more detailed uh, conversation about what we just talked about here. This, this is the mission of our church. It's what we do. It's what we're for. We're big time for the Bible. Every single time you come here, we're gonna open the Bible. We're gonna talk about it and what it says. Uh, the Bible is our sole authority for all matters of faith and practice. We, the Bible is our final authority. Not, this is the way we've always done things. Well, the church that I grew up in used to do things this way. No, no, we're gonna go back to the Bible. What does the Bible say? What can we learn from that? That's why I wanna encourage you to be students of the Bible. So we're, we're for people, we're for the gospel, we're for the Bible, and this is important too, we're for holiness. Holiness is an attribute of God. Uh, God is love, no doubt about it, but Isaiah chapter uh, three says that God is holy, holy, holy. That God is separate from anything that has to do with sin. And First Peter says, because God is holy, he expects you and I to be holy, also separate from sin. And that's a big deal for us too. We cannot live the way that the rest of the world lives and expect the people to draw people to Christ. It doesn't work that way. We cannot live like the rest of the world and draw people to Christ. I have to be distinct. I have to be different. I have to be holy. And holy is not a bad word. It's actually a really, really good thing. The word holiness sometimes gets a bad rap. It's not a bad word. It's actually a really, really good word. And you and I should be holy. So we're for holiness. Now, because of that, there has to be some things that we have to take a really hard look at. One of those today that we're taking a look at is alcohol. We're gonna take a look at what the Bible has to say. It's my responsibility as a pastor to equip you to walk your spiritual journey for the rest of your life. It's my job to give you the tools that you need. The word pastor in the Bible literally means the word shepherd. And so if you are a sheep and I am a shepherd, it's my job to guide you where you're supposed to go. Now, as a shepherd, I can't take my shepherd's crook and put it around your neck and pull you where you're supposed to go. I can just guide you where you're supposed to go. At the end of the day, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. At the end of the day, you have to allow yourself to be led by Jesus alone. And you as a sheep can choose to go whatever way you want to, but me as a pastor, I wanna guide you into the greatest joy that you'll ever find in your life. It's my responsibility. It's also important to understand that one of these days, I'll stand before God and I'll give an account for you that are part of who we call a Baptist church. The Bible says that in the book of Hebrews uh, that those obey those that have rule over you for they watch for your souls. 
And one day they'll have to give an account and make it so that they can give an account with joy, not with grief or sorrow. And so this is a really, really big deal for me as a pastor because I wanna equip you with the tools that you need to make good biblical decisions that would please and honor Jesus with your lives. This uh, idea of, of maturity as a Christian is a lifelong process. Uh, I struggled with things when I first started walking with Jesus. I got saved when I was nine, but I didn't start walking with Jesus till I was probably 23 or 24. And there were some things that I struggled with at 24 years of age. Uh, I struggled with uh, the thoughts that I would have. Or I struggled with anger. Or I struggled with pride. I struggled with uh, foul language and things along those lines. But over the course of my walking with Jesus over the last uh, almost two decades now, there's some things that I don't necessarily struggle with anymore. And that's the process of maturity that we're going on. And so uh, wherever you're at in your Christian walk, I wanna ask you this today, continue the path of maturity. Continue to grow in your Christian walk. Now, full disclosure, when it comes to the idea of alcohol, I've never drank a drop of alcohol in my entire life. Uh, I've, I do take NyQuil. Uh, I took NyQuil last night and I slept really well because of it. Uh, but as far as uh, actual alcohol use, I never drank a drop of alcohol in my life. Uh, I had grown up, in the home of parents who had alcoholic parents. So my grandfathers were both alcoholics. Uh, we've had family members of, of mine that were alcoholics. I saw the really, really ugly side of it from a very young age and I didn't want any part of it. I wish I could say when I was a teenager that I didn't drink alcohol because I, was, I had such a solid biblical conviction and I loved Jesus so much. It wasn't the case. I just hated alcohol and what it brought about and the fruit of it. And so when I got to, to be a, a young adult, I joined the Navy right out of high school was surrounded by it. I, I saw nothing good come from it. And even from my period of time where I was away from the Lord and not walking with Jesus, I saw so many things uh, wrong with alcohol use just from a practical standpoint that I didn't want any part of it. Uh, when I actually started walking with Jesus, I actually developed a biblical conviction and, and looked at what the Bible had to say honestly about what it had to say about alcohol. So I'm coming to you with full disclosure this morning telling you I'm a guy who's never drank before and I've seen every ugly side of alcohol that there could possibly be. And as a pastor, when I get involved in couples counseling and I see the inside of people's lives, I see that it leads nowhere good whatsoever. So I'm gonna let you know from the get-go, that's the perspective that I'm coming from. That's not, that's not my opinion. That is my biblical conviction based on what God's word said. And we're gonna share uh, that this morning as well. Again, next week, we're gonna take a look uh, at the, uh, the other sides of alcohol as well uh, the, and what the Bible has to say about that. So I wanna give full disclosure up front. I don't think it's wise for Christians to drink alcohol. I believe it's very unwise, and we'll take a look at what the Bible says uh, from there as well. I believe in, in some cases, maybe even many cases, it might even be sinful for Christians to drink alcohol. We'll take a look at why uh, from the Bible in just a moment on that as well. But I want you to know this. If you're sitting here today and you say, Pastor, I don't see anything wrong with drinking a beer. I don't see anything wrong with having a glass of wine at dinner and things like that. Know this, I'm not against you. I don't think you're a terrible person. I don't think you should go find a new church or anything like that. I would just, on biblical grounds, just choose to disagree with you. And good Christians can disagree on, on biblical matters and still be okay. And so I don't want anybody to leave here today going, oh, I guess I gotta find a new church now, or oh, I hate pastor's guts or anything like that. Hey, look, I'm not against you. I'm for you. I want you to see, I wanna see you reach the greatest point of Christian growth you've ever seen in your life. And I want to see you extract as much joy out of this life as you possibly could. Uh, and because of that, I want to share some things with you today about what the Bible has to say about alcohol. We're constantly enticed to drink. 
the society we live in today pushes us towards alcohol. Uh, our, our family uh, three weeks ago had the opportunity to go to, to San Diego and I preached on a Sunday for uh, one of my friends there. And one of the things we wanted to do when we got to, to Southern California was eat. Uh, man, I didn't care anything about going to Disney. I didn't care about anything else. I wanted to eat, man. Uh, we had first thing off the plane, we got Chick-fil-A and it was glorious. Oh, it was so good. Uh, some guys... Uh, from the church, we're going to take me out to lunch. He said, Pastor, we want to take you out to lunch here. Some, we've got some great places to eat here in San Diego. We want to take you to some restaurants. I go, I really just want to go to Chipotle. And they said, well, we've got some really good Mexican places. No, I just want to go to Chipotle. And they're like, are you sure? I'm, I'm 100% sure. Well, there's this really good mom and pop. I don't want the mom and pop taco shop. I want Chipotle. And they're like, okay, we'll go to Chipotle. So we go to Chipotle. It was awesome. Man, it was awesome. Uh, we went, we uh, one late one night, really late. Almost everything else was closed. We hit the drive-through at In-N-Out. Oh, it was glorious. We ate it in the car, and it was incredible. Um, and so then uh, we we're closing in the end of our trip, and we've kind of exhausted. We went to Texas Roadhouse one night, ate a ridiculous amount of those yeast rolls that they have. I mean, we just ate, uh, and it was a really, really good time. It, Getting towards the end of our trip, we're kind of scratching our head, like, where else could we possibly go? And Vanderlei says, we should totally go to Olive Garden. Oh, Olive Garden. I forgot about Olive Garden, right? I mean, their pasta's okay, but those breadsticks just, like, keep them coming, right? <laughs> I feel bad, and I buy a plate of spaghetti just so that I can eat the breadsticks and not feel guilty, right? It's just like, I don't want the spaghetti, I just want the breadsticks. And so uh, we sat down there, and so we sit down at the table, uh, and they've got, you know, 20 million glasses there for the different types of wine that they have. And the guy comes by, and he goes, oh, this is our special wine that we have tonight. And my wife says, uh, that's okay, we don't drink. And he goes, but I, I really need to tell you about the wine. And she was just like, okay, fine, whatever. And so he gives the spiel about the wine that they have. And she says, no, thanks. He goes, okay, uh, that's fine. She goes, but if you could take all the glasses, that would be great. And he goes, we'll leave those in case later you decide you change your mind. Okay, we're not going to change our mind. Um, well, would you leave them just to take the stinking glasses? We're not going to drink tonight. And he's just, oh, okay, fine. Well, I'll leave a wine list here. We don't want the wine list. Like three different times he pushed that to us. Then it came time for dessert. Would anybody like any dessert? Like, well, is the Pope still Catholic? I think I'll take dessert. Um, and so uh, we, uh, we, we looked at the dessert menu, and by that point, I'd had far too many breadsticks. I wanted dessert, but I didn't get dessert because I had too many breadsticks. And so uh, he said, you know, I would highly recommend this great dessert wine that we have. Dude, we told you six times at this point we're not drinking, but he kept pushing us to do that. Uh, I went to lunch with a friend last week, and we get, went to uh, eat tacos together. We sit down to... to hey, I want to tell you about all the, the specials that we have today and two tacos for this, and, and these are the margaritas that we have that are on sale. And he's like, oh, that's all right, we don't drink. Well, I'm going to leave this drink list here with you because we got some of the cheapest well drinks that you'll find in Waikiki. And he's like, God, we're not going to drink. I'll just leave this here in case you change your mind. It's like they're pushing you to do that almost. I remember when we uh, first moved back here, we'd gone to the, the Kmart out by the, uh, the stadium when Kmarts were still a thing. And by the jewelry department, they had a little uh, kiosk set up there like you'd find at Costco where you have samples and you walk past there and they're sampling different types of liquor there. And I thought to myself, is this legal? Like, can you do this in Kmart? Just like hand out alcohol to people as they walk by? And, and, and the lady says, oh yeah, it's 100% legal. And they had a little print out there showing you where it was legal to do stuff like that. I thought to myself, how crazy is this that I'm walking through Kmart and I get asked if I want to take a shot of some alcohol? That's nuts to me. I don't know if you've been to, to the new Target that we have over here at the uh, Almona Shopping Center. If you haven't seen my wife, she'd be happy to take you on a field trip there. <laughs> <coughs> but 
you go up to the grocery section there, and they've got a decent spread of groceries and stuff like that. But the alcohol section there, there's like 12 aisles deep. It's just like there's like three freezers for frozen food, and there's like 12 aisles of alcohol there. It's like, good, do people really drink this much that Target needs 12 aisles of this? Taking my kids through Safeway to walk to the bread aisle at the Safeway up on Baratania to go down the last aisle that you do. You have to walk past all the, the rows of alcohol. And my daughter, McKeely, at 10 years old, goes, Dad, why are all the alcohol bottles so pretty, but like all the soft drink bottles are just like plain? And I said, sweetheart, they're trying to entice you to buy that. And she goes, ooh, I want that, that, that one that's a circle that looks like ocean water inside it. Sweetheart, that's, that's vodka. You can't buy that. And she was like, well, can we buy it and pour it out and just put it in my room? No, you can't even do that. You can't do it. <laughs> We live in a society that wants to entice you to buy him. Television, you flip on the television, you find nothing about uh, the actual contents of alcohol or what it does or anything like that. You see really fit people at a party with really great music having a great time that are madly attracted to one another that have a great time. You never see the after effects of it. Sporting events, you're constantly pushed to, to, uh, to consume alcohol, to enjoy it even more. It uh, surrounds us in everywhere that we go. Even the stores that you go to, uh, I enjoy going to uh, Williams-Sonoma and taking a look at all the different gadgets for the kitchen and stuff like that. I don't know why I'm a sucker for stuff like that. But honestly, one of the places that I enjoy the most in that whole store is this section that sells the different types of glassware. You know, you can get these little short glasses with your initials monogrammed on them, or you can get like a, a tray with like your initials monogrammed on it. Uh, one year for, uh, for Christmas, my son Thatcher got me a uh, Darth Vader, Vader ice mold uh, that you can mold a big piece of ice in the face in Darth Vader's helmet. I thought, oh, it's so cool. And then I realized later that's actually for whiskey. I didn't know that at the time. I found out later. Oh, great. Uh, that's nice. Um, and so we have big chunks of Darth Vader ice in our freezer if you want to ever want to see it sometime. It's cool, pretty cool. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I enjoy going to Tommy Bahama. They make uh, clothes for larger men. Uh, I always like that. And there, there's always a section there with different types of glassware and flask and stuff. I want a flask with my name monogrammed and leather on it and stuff like that. But what do you put in it? You don't put water in it. Just things that entice us to want to be that. Our society has normalized it. Uh, alcohol is a drug in any way that you, you cut it. Uh, no two ways about that. And we, it's a drug that we've normalized. Again, nicotine and cigarettes are a drug that we have normalized. And if you use as directed, you have a 50% chance of dying from using it. But our society has accepted it. It seems acceptable. As we take a look at this verse here and the rest of the verses, uh, we'll take a look at the context of this verse that we took a look at, be not drunk with wine where it is excess. The context of it is walking in wisdom. And I want you and I to really look and say, are my choices about alcohol and the way that I feel about alcohol, are they wise? Maybe the question is not, can I drink alcohol? Maybe the question is, should I drink alcohol? Is it the wisest choice that I have? If I'm seeking to be a man of God, if I'm seeking to be a woman of God, is this really one of the best choices that I have? That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. I'm gonna share with you a lot of knowledge this morning. What you do with it is totally up to you. But how you apply the knowledge that you get today will determine wisdom or foolishness. Before we jump in and take a look at what the Bible has to say about alcohol, which is really, again, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters, we need to take a historical view of alcohol. In biblical times, what was alcohol really like? Is it similar to the alcohol that we have today today? 
In your notes here, you'll find everything that we're gonna take a look at today. The Hebrew word for strong drink is shikar. Uh, it's used 23 times in the Old Testament. It's actually used as an intoxicating drink. So sometimes you'll find the word wine uh, in the Bible. Sometimes you'll use, see the word strong drink. Uh, the Hebrew word tirash is occasionally translated into new wine, which means freshly pressed, non-alcoholic juice. More common word is the word yayin. It's used 141 times, which means fermented grape juice. And then the New Testament, the Greek word glucose means sweet wine is used for new wine. Uh, the word oinos is more widely used for the word wine. Here's the thing about the biblical terms here, even if you look it up in the Greek or the Hebrew, there's not one word in particular that says this is non-alcoholic wine, this is alcoholic wine. We really have to look at the context of it. So there's not one clear-cut way that we're gonna be able to look at this and say, we're gonna have to study it a little bit. We're gonna have to dig a little bit deeper to actually take a look at what the Bible really says about alcohol. Unfortunately, many Christians that I talk to when I, they say that they drink alcohol and see no problem with it, I say, well, why do you feel that way? Number one response that I always hear, well, Jesus turned water into wine, so it must be okay. And that's as far deep as they've gone in their study of what the Bible really says. And that argument right there has a hundred holes in it, some of which we'll take a look at today as well. But the word wine is a generic term used for any fruit made from grapes and could be referred to both fermented or unfermented wine. So the word wine is kind of the, like the word cider in the fact that it doesn't necessarily mean uh, that it's alcoholic or non-alcoholic. It's more of a generic term. And so there would be fermented wine, which would contain alcohol. There would be unfermented wine, which would not contain alcohol. And then there's just the use of the word wine, which could mean either or. And so again, we have to study the context and the way that it's used uh, and what the Bible says uh, in totality of that. Uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, Welch's actually made Dr. Welch's unfermented wine. Uh, one of the, the actual names of it was unfermented wine. And you see, we have a photo of one of the labels from the bottles that they have here, uh, Dr. Welch's unfermented wine, uh, which is basically just grape juice, uh, but it was referred to as unfermented wine. And so again, the word wine, uh, more of a generic term. Often freshly pressed wine would be boiled down into a syrup or a must, uh, removing all the ability to ferment and thus used as a concentrate. So what would happen sometimes, some folks have said, well, in the Bible they didn't have refrigeration, so any, wine, any uh, freshly pressed grape juice would automatically begin to ferment, and if they kept it for a week or, or longer, it would automatically turn into alcoholic wine. That wasn't always the case. Generally what would happen is as they press this juice, in order to keep it for a longer period of time, they would actually boil it right away and would boil it down into almost like a syrup and then they would store it in containers from there. And when it came time to make something to drink, they would pour it out as a concentrate and add a lot of water to this. But the boiling process would remove any type of uh, sugars or yeast that were in the, uh, the grapes, uh, keeping it from fermenting. And so it would be a way that they could actually store it for long periods of time uh, without the actual wine fermenting. And so uh, again, the idea that all biblical wine would have been fermented, again, just doesn't hold water. Uh, the grape harvest season in the Middle East was very short. So we have a short period of time to harvest these grapes, to make it into uh, a wine or even make it into this syrup or must as it was called. Uh, and so a very short period of time to do that. And so they would harvest the grapes, they would press them down, they would turn it into this concentrated and they would store it until next year's harvest season. So it only have maybe a couple of months to actually harvest the grapes during that period of time uh, before they wouldn't have anything left for the rest of the year. And so it was important to them that they stored it. Uh, and the longer that you store, 
Uh, this, especially in a warm environment like the Middle East, it turns to vinegar and becomes very, very bitter, and it's really useless at that point. It needs to be thrown out. So they had to preserve it some way, and this is one of the ways that they did that. Even with fermented wine, where they actually wanted to keep the alcohol content in there, uh, they would always mix it with water. Uh, even fermented wine would be mixed with at least a three-to-one ratio of water to wine. Uh, so one part wine, three, point, three parts water, uh, at least was kind of the minimum requirement. Some historical literature speaks of an eight to one ratio and Homer's Odyssey even speaks of a 20 to one ratio. Now, if one were to mix it 50-50, uh, 50% uh, wine and 50% water, that itself would even be considered strong drink uh, according to them. Uh, drinking unmixed wine, the type of wine like you would find at a supermarket or something like that today, in biblical times would have been considered uncivilized and barbaric. Uh, that's like over the top. Nobody would drink something like that because uh, the, the, the alcoholic content would be far too high. Now, again, mind you, the alcoholic content that we see in alcoholic beverages today is far higher than anything that they would ever see in the Bible. The distillation process where we can actually increase the amount of alcohol in uh, alcoholic beverages, that's just come about in the last 200 years or so. And so the, in biblical times, they would have never seen the alcoholic content of the, the types of drinks uh, that we see today because uh, modern science has advanced so much. In biblical times, women and children were forbidden from actually drinking fermented wine. It was not allowed for them to even drink it, uh, even at a heavily mixed level. And again, when you're talking about mixing something three to one ratio or even an eight to one ratio, uh, my daughter Tallulah, she is a 17 months old. Uh, when we make her apple juice, we put 50% water, 50% apple juice. And let me just tell you, it is nasty, uh, right? It's just, it's just gross. Can you imagine drinking a soda that was one part soda, eight parts water? I think we look at that and go, that's disgusting. Uh, but again, in biblical times, that was the level of alcoholic content that you would see even with fermented wine. Uh, that's why if one were to get drunk, they would have to drink a lot uh, of that particular beverage to be able to get to an intoxicated state. So again, when we look at modern day uh, alcohol, modern day wine, would be considered strong drink in biblical times. So when we look at the, the Bible, and the Bible says wine and strong drink, what we know of today is alcohol that we find on the shelf at the grocery store would automatically be in the strong drink category in the Bible because the alcoholic content far higher than anything that they would have had in that particular day. Biblical wine and modern day wine is an apples and oranges comparison. They're not even in the same category. And so it's important that we understand when we look at what the Bible says about wine. There are passages in the Bible that talk about wine as a blessing, a wine of being able to make the heart merry. It's not talking about the type of wine that you can, and I can go down to Safeway and purchase or pick up at the liquor store or something like that. It's a different category. And again, wine was seen as a blessing in the Bible because to have uh, a fruit of a vine drink, you had to have grapes. If you had grapes, you had to have land. If you had to have land, you had to have a harvest. And that meant God's blessing. So that drink was a picture of God's blessing upon them. You see, they couldn't go down to a 7-Eleven like you and I would and pick up a Gatorade or pick up a, a bottle of fruit juice. To actually drink even unfermented grape juice meant that God had to bless them with a vineyard and grapes and a harvest and the people to actually produce it. And God had to, to bless them to be able to have something other than water or milk in this case here. So wine was seen as a blessing from God because uh, not necessarily from the alcoholic content, but from what it took to actually produce that. 
Now, again, that just gives you a historical view to say that alcohol in the Bible is not the same as the alcohol that we find in society today. Now, what does the Bible really say about alcohol? That's the most important part. Book of Proverbs talks at length about uh, alcohol use. Proverbs 20, chapter number one, these verses in your notes here. I'm gonna read through them because I think it's important that we just read these. It would be easy for me to say, hey, here's a bunch of verses, read them when you get home, but I think it's important that we hear what the Bible says. Proverbs 20, verse number one, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. One of the most common things that I hear from folks who say, well, I can drink a beer or two and it doesn't affect me. I can drink a, I can drink a beer, have a glass of wine, and it doesn't affect me. And, and I, I believe that you mean that. I really do, and I believe that most people could probably say, uh, I was talking with somebody last week, and they said, uh, my parents drank uh, a glass of wine with, with dinner. My, my dad would, would drink a beer whenever he, he grilled burgers, and I never saw my parents drunk ever. That's great, but the Bible says that alcohol deceives us. It tricks us. Uh, the Bible also says in Proverbs 21, verse number 17, he that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man and he that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. Proverbs 23, verse number 29 speaks of alcohol and it says, who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling, who hath wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes, they that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, look not upon the wine when it's red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright, at last, it, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thy eyes shall behold strange women, thy heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, there shall be is he that lieth down in the midst of the sea and he that lieth on the top of the mast. They stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They beat me and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Isn't it amazing that alcohols, people who fall down drunk, people who wake up in the morning aren't sure where they're at, how they got there. They have wounds, they have bruises, they don't know where their car is. But what do they do? The end of this verse here says, hey, I think I'm gonna do that again. That was a good time. It's foolishness. Uh, I I'd met a, a young man who knocked on the door here um, uh, probably, I'd say probably about a year or so ago. He knocked on the front door of our church on a Saturday morning and I went up to, to talk to him and he says, uh, hey, I'm, I'm trying to get back to, to the base at Pearl Harbor. He says, I don't have my wallet or anything like that. I said, hey, tell me what happened. He said, well, I was, I, was, I was back on Kona Street back here last night. I was out with some friends. We were having a good time. And he goes, and I don't remember what happened. And I said, well, what do you remember next? And he says, I woke up like five minutes ago face down in the parking lot over here. And he goes, my phone's gone. My wallet's gone. He goes, I don't, I don't have nothing. And I go, dude, that's not good. And he's like, I know. I said, I said, did you come with anybody? He said, yeah, I had, had a group of friends that were with me. And I go, some friends you got there, huh? And he goes, man, I, I can't believe this happened to me. We began to talk, and I, know, I asked him what he did in the Navy, and he told me what he did. And I said, you got to have a security clearance for that? And he goes, yeah, I know. I go, Dude, things like this will get your security clearance revoked. Man, waking up in the street with your military ID gone and stuff like that, dude, this is no good. He goes, yeah, I know, I know. And so I gave him enough money to get on a bus and I gave him the bus number he needed to get on to get back to, to base and stuff like that. But the idea was he didn't really learn a lesson. I began to talk, try to talk to him about the Lord and things like that and he just didn't want to hear it. Didn't learn his lesson. Why? Because alcohol deceives us. Hey, I think I'll do that again. It was just a bad experience that I had. And hey, look, again, you wanted to see the effects of alcohol hang out on Kona Street on a Friday or Saturday night. It's nothing good back here. I'll tell you that for sure but people continue again and again to come back to it. Isaiah 5:22, woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength mingle strong drink. 
Romans 13, 13, let's walk honestly as in the day, not rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and in envy. Ephesians 5, 18, which we took a look at, be not drunk with wine, where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, therefore let us not sleep as others do sleep, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunken are drunken in the night, but let us who are of the day. This draws a distinction in the way that the world lives and the way that Christians live. Verse eight, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet and the hope of salvation. Galatians 5, chapter 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. First Peter chapter four, verse number three, for the times past, of our life suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable idolatries. Peter said, we used to live like that. We don't live like that anymore. Habakkuk 2.15 says, woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink and put his bottle to him that makest him drunken also that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Habakkuk chapter two says, woe unto the man that giveth his neighbor drink that you shouldn't even give alcohol to another person. Uh, for, for me, when I've ever taken a, a friend out to dinner or, or out to lunch or something like that, if you order an alcoholic beverage, you're gonna get that on your own tab. I'm, I'm happy to pay for lunch, but you're gonna have to pay for that because I'm not gonna violate the Bible. The Bible says don't give alcohol to your neighbor. I've never purchased alcohol for anybody uh, in my entire life, and I don't ever intend to either because it would violate Habakkuk chapter two in this case here. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 11, but now I've written unto you that to not keep company. If any man call a brother a fornicator, a covetous, or idolater, a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, but not such a one not to eat. That if a, a brother is an alcoholic or a drunkard, that we shouldn't even have lunch with him. Romans chapter 14, verse number 21, it's good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or offended or is made weak. We'll take a look at that one uh, in depth next week. Proverbs chapter 31 is written by uh, Solomon. And Solomon, as he writes to his son, he tells him that he should not drink alcohol as a king. And so this is actually a, a forbidding of kings to drink alcohol. It's not for kings, though. Lemuel, it's not for kings to drink wine nor of princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto him that's ready to perish and wine unto those that be heavy of hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty. Remember his misery no more. Hey, if your life is over, then you can use alcohol or other types of medicine to numb your pain until you die. But it's not for folks in positions of authority in this case here. First Timothy 3, 3, uh, one of the requirements of a pastor that he's not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre or filthy money, a patient, not a brawler, not covetous, for deacons, likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. Titus chapter one, uh, the requirements of a pastor, again, for a bishop or the word pastor there could be used, must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. That, those are just a handful of verses there. We'll take a look at what the Bible says on some other things as well. But you look here, and for somebody who say, oh, well, wine's a picture of blessing. Well, so-and-so in the Bible drank wine, and so it must be okay. You have to ignore the rest of what the Bible says about wine and strong drink as well. Bible says that uh, alcohol slows the thinking process, makes one dizzy, is associated with self-centeredness, causes sickness, causes forgetfulness, produces delirious dreams, results in sleepiness, 
It produces complacence and laziness. It numbs one's feelings. It leads to poverty. It leads to brokenness. It results in sadness and depression. It causes sorrow. It produces blackouts. It leads to immorality. It encourages sexual perversion. It can result in guilt. It causes injuries. It can result in insanity, and it makes one vulnerable to his enemies. So again, anyone who would say that the use of alcohol can be painted in a positive light in the Bible either hasn't studied it out fully or just isn't being honest with what the Bible says. Now, again, one of the number one excuse, I say excuses, I would say arguments that people give for drinking alcohol. Jesus turned water into wine, so it must be okay. Let's take a look at that. Did Jesus actually serve alcohol at the wedding feast in Cana? John chapter two, if you were to read this story, we don't have time to read it this morning, but you're welcome to read it on your own. Uh, What happens at that feast? Mary comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, they've ran out of wine. We need you to make more wine. And Jesus says, it's not time for me to do that yet. Mary says, hey, just to the servants, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Jesus says, go get some pots. I'll do that. And he fills them up all the pots with water. He turns the water into wine there. And they serve the wine at the wedding feast there. Now, did Jesus make alcoholic wine to share with everyone else? Let's take a look at that. So we see that Jesus had just made wine and because the wine had just been made, uh, there had not been yet the time needed for it to ferment. Uh, So we would say in this this case here, it was not fermented wine because it was freshly made. Now, could Jesus make it uh, with fermentation? Certainly, but I don't know that we can make the stretch for that. Uh, Jesus, uh, when he created Adam, uh, created Adam as a fully grown male, not as a baby that had to grow. So Jesus can create things with age. We would agree with that for sure. And so if Jesus wanted to, he could do that. Uh, But we know that this is freshly made wine, freshly squeezed uh, grape juice that we think would have been served there. It hadn't had time to ferment. And so we'd say for that reason, it more than likely was not alcoholic. Secondly, Jesus would not have given people the ability to get drunk. Jesus wouldn't have said, hey guys, here's this wine, but only take one glass uh, because I don't want anybody to get drunk here. Jesus wouldn't have given people the opportunity at this wedding feast Uh, to become drunken. And so we would say for that reason that Jesus uh, would not have made alcoholic wine because that would have given people the opportunity to be involved in sin. Next, Jesus would not violate Habakkuk chapter two, verse number 15. What does that say? Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him and maketh them drunk also. And so for Jesus to serve alcoholic beverage to people at this wedding feast would have had to violate Habakkuk chapter two and give them an alcoholic drink when the Bible says, woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink. Let me help you with this. If Jesus violates scripture, then he is not the sinless son of God. If Jesus is not the sinless son of God, then we have no savior. If we have no savior, the penalty of our sin is upon us. If we have no savior, we have no business being here today and we should find something else to do on our Sunday mornings. But because Jesus is the sinless son of God, I believe he kept scripture to the T. Next, Jesus also would not violate Isaiah chapter five, verse number 22. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and the men of strength to mingle or mix strong drink. So again, Jesus would have had to violate two separate Old Testament scriptures that he himself would have known to be able to serve an alcoholic beverage at a wedding feast to these wedding guests. Next, women and children were not allowed to drink alcohol. And so of all the wedding guests that were there, Jesus would have made a beverage that was only available to a select portion of the wedding guests. Women and children had nothing to drink in this case here because uh, they were not allowed to drink of fermented or alcoholic wine. And so women and children would not have been able to drink of this. 
and uh, Jesus made a ridiculous amount of it. Uh, so we believe in that case there that it was for everyone to use. Next, Jesus would not drink alcohol himself. And people say, well, you can't just say that Jesus wouldn't drink alcohol. Well, first of all, when Jesus was on the cross, he was given a sponge that had vinegar. What is vinegar? Vinegar is rotted wine. That after it passes that fermentation stage where it becomes wine, it turns rotten and turns into vinegar. And he was offered that on the cross as a way to dull his pain, and he rejected it on the cross. Now, some would say that Jesus rejected it because he wanted to feel the wrath of God upon him and didn't want to, uh, to put off any of the physical suffering. I would agree with that statement as well. But also, alcohol was forbidden to be used by priests and kings. So alcohol was forbidden for uh, certain people to use. It was forbidden by priests. It was forbidden by kings. It was forbidden by those who'd taken special vows. It was forbidden by uh, pastors and deacons as well. I think I skipped that portion in your notes there, probably under the section uh, at the beginning before we got into all those verses. Alcohol use was forbidden by priests, kings, those taking special vows, pastors and deacons. And so we would say that Jesus would reject the alcohol because Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, was our priest. He was our high priest. Jesus Christ was king of the Jews. Jesus Christ is king of kings and Lord of lords. And because he is priest, because he is king, we believe that Jesus would have rejected alcohol from that aspect as well. So because it was forbidden for priests and kings, because Jesus Christ was priest and king, we believe that Jesus also rejected alcohol. Again, the idea that Jesus, after a tough day of ministry, would sit down with his apostles and and the Jesus that we know would have sat back and kicked back and drank a couple of beers and talked about the day with the guys isn't a, a faithful biblical view of who Jesus Christ was. And in our society today, we cannot say, if I desire to be a man of God, if I desire to show Jesus Christ to every person that I know, I cannot honestly say that this would be the best decision for me. For me, even when I go to Costco and I'm loading up my stuff on the, the cart at Costco and the person in front of me puts a, a case of vodka on the conveyor belt, and I think to myself, I don't know who's drinking all that, but my word. Case of vodka. I always take my stuff off the cart and I step back a little bit and wait because I don't want anybody to look and think that that belongs to me. I'd, uh, we, our, our church was, we just started, we were really new and uh, every single family uh, that walked through the door, I knew who they were, where they worked, what their kids' names were, everything because there was like six families here. Uh, and there was one family that came about three weeks and I was so excited that they were here uh, and I went to uh, Costco one day and I saw them and they were pushing a, a cart and it was filled to the top with alcohol I and mean, there's nothing else on the cart but alcohol. And I walked on the corner and I said, hey, Bill, great to see you. And he goes, oh, no. I go, what? And he goes, um, we're having this thing at work. And I go, you don't have to, exp it's not my business, man. It doesn't matter to me. No, I just feel, I feel really, really awkward. I feel really awkward. And, and I don't want you to think, I go, hey, I don't think anything, it's all good. I'm just glad to see you at Costco. And it's just like, I'm not glad to see you. <laughs> okay. I, I, I don't, I said, I said, I, what you're doing doesn't matter to me. I'm just glad to see you. I hope you have a great week. I'll see you on Sunday. Dude, never came back ever again. Did I make him feel that way? I don't think so. I think our conscience somewhere tells us there are things that Christians should do and there's things that Christians shouldn't be a part of. 
And when we violate our conscience, more importantly, when we violate scripture to do the things that we want to do, we run into a very, very difficult area. And so I wanna ask you this. Again, here's the final thought here today. My goal is not for you to believe what I believe. My goal is for you to align with what the Bible says and to walk in wisdom. What is wise for me as a Christian? What's the next level of Christian maturity for me? Uh, for, for me, uh, I made a decision a long time ago, we're not gonna have alcohol in our home, period, in a story. Um, again, that's just a conviction that we have. Uh, when we go to dinner with other people, we're not gonna be around alcohol with other people. Um, we had gone to a, a function at my gym uh, uh, probably about a year and a half or so ago. And I knew that there was gonna be alcohol there, but I, I, said, I said to the folks that were going from our church, we had a group of people from our church that went, hey, we're not gonna be around the alcohol, and we're gonna show people what Christians act like. And no lie, probably an hour and a half through it, uh, one of the guys came over and says, hey, I see you guys aren't drinking. What's up with that? You, want, you need a beer? And I said, no, we're Christians and we don't drink. And he goes, man, I wish I could do that. I go, you can. And he goes, I really don't think that I could ever have fun without a beer in my hand. I just don't think I could do it. And I said, I promise you, you can. I've done it my whole life. And so I just want you to walk in wisdom. Again, I'm not trying to get you to believe what I believe. I'm not trying to get you on my side. And, and please, if you walk out of here today thinking that because you have a different view on alcohol than I do, I think you're a terrible person or a bad Christian or you need to get on my level, you missed the whole point of this. Nobody's judging anybody here. I want you to allow the Bible to judge you. I have no judgment towards anybody here whatsoever. If you have a different view on alcohol than I do, I want you to look at the Bible objectively and step back and say, what does the Bible say? And I want to get on board with that. One of my greatest fears of preaching a message like this, I have no fear telling you what the Bible says. I got no problem with that. One of my greatest fears though is there would be people that would leave our church because they have a different view than I do. Please don't allow that to happen. And if you, if you have a different view and you're thinking about leaving our church, would you talk to me first about it? We've had people before that have left our church uh, because of our view on alcohol. Uh, we had some, some single adults early on in our, our church that uh, they were having a, a get together at their, uh, at their condo uh, for all the single adults. And I said, uh, hey, I just wanna lay out some ground rules for your single adults get together that you have there. They were having a pool party and stuff like that. And I said, here's the thing. At the pool party, let's just make sure that everybody has on tank tops and board shorts. Simple as that, don't want any dudes with their shirts off, don't want any girls in two-piece bikinis and stuff like that there, because we're Christians, we do things differently. And secondly, uh, I don't want there to be any alcohol use there whatsoever. And this is what they said to me. Pastor, if we say that, nobody will come. What? No, no, we're Christians here. Well, I know, but nobody wants to come to a pool party where you're gonna wear a tank top and board shorts, and nobody wants to go to a pool party where there's no alcohol. Nobody will come. Okay, then we won't have a pool party. At the end of the day, I don't think it's wise for Christians to get together, have a few beers, and be half naked. And again, I don't want to be the church as far as what we're against. I'm for holiness. I'm for pointing people to Jesus. And hey, what if a bunch of 20-something-year-old kids got together in board shorts and tank tops and flipped burgers and laughed and had a good time and played Uno by the pool? What do you think that would do? People would look and say, that's different. I've never seen that before. What's going on with that? And that gives us the opportunity to point people to Christ but you get a couple of dudes playing chickens with, with, with girls on their, their shoulders in bikinis and, and they're a little bit tipsy because they've had a couple of beers, you're just like every other 20-something-year-old in the world today. There's no distinction. And the whole purpose, Ephesians chapter five, we're gonna come back here, the whole purpose is distinction. You used to live this way, we don't live that way anymore. 
the unsaved man lives like this, we live things differently. And Christians should live with distinction. That's the key here. Most important thing in the entire world. If you're here today and you do not know for sure that heaven is your home when you die, again, this is a church that is for the gospel, it's for you, and it's for Jesus. You need to know for sure that you're saved. You need to know for sure that heaven is your home. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. We'll work on all the other stuff later, but come to Jesus with your sin and lay it down, and I promise you, you'll never be disappointed.